It's Dr. Seuss Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishby, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here with my highly prepared, as usual, <laughs> co-host, the best in the business, Bliss Young, the serious one. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm really good. Are you just going to sit here and be passive today, or are you going to be... I, an, I, active, an active participant. I don't know. I told you to give me something, but you're taking the lead. So yeah. we'll see if I have anything interesting yeah, she's to been, add. You, are you doing social media while we're talking? I was going to see if I had any letters from people, too. Did you have any letters from people, too? Because I, I got a go zillion letters from people. So that's what we're going to concentrate on today. Oh, by the way, i got to go through all that other stuff. <laughs> you can find us at birthinginstincts.com and birthingbliss.com. On social media, on Instagram, I'm at birthinginstincts. Bliss is at birthingblissmidwifery. We have Facebook stuff too, and you can email me at askdrstew at gmail.com, or you can get bliss at birthingbliss at hotmail.com. Yeah. I always ask you about Hotmail. What is it still around? It is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch. But Don't for, switch. But for me... It fits you. Thanks. Yeah, Hotmail. Yeah. Um, for me, I, like, I actually am enjoying the uh, direct messages on Instagram these days. Just, yeah, I sometimes just, forget to check them. Just, I know, but I always check them. I'm just DM me. Some people message me on Facebook too, and I, I find I those like a week those. later. Yeah, those I don't like. But DM me on Instagram. So DM you on Instagram. Direct message. Yeah, I know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> just making sure. I get around. <laughs> you do. <laughs> we talked about that in the last podcast. We did. You oh, driving around. around. Yeah, driving around. <laughs> but yeah, bump. my car went on the fritz too. I had to, I had to get a loaner. So you know what I have to do when I get a loaner car? I have to take all my gear out of the back of my yeah. car and put it all my gear in the loaner car, which is really good because when I had the loaner car, I got called to go do a vacuum. <laughs> and if yeah. it had been in my car at the dealer, I would never have been able to go. No, you, so. to- you totally need your stuff in the car. Yeah. Um, I- I've had it before where I had to like pull out my, uh, my extra tire. And it was ridiculous, like emptying out my truck in the gas station or on the side of oh, the road. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, with all it's our stuff in the car? It's terrible. crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so, all right. So I got a couple of things here, uh, just quick announcements. I want to send a thank you to ACOG for declining a hands-on breach course offered by a hospital-based expert at their ACOG convention this year. You're sick. saying they didn't. Yeah, it's, it's sarcastic. Yes, mm-hmm. it's a sarcastic ball. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the sarcastic ball coach for the Dr. Stu's podcast. <laughs> no, they, yeah, they had an opportunity for have a, a, a colleague of mine who, who's really good at breach delivery, who works in a hospital, who offered to do a hands on training course. And they said, well, there was, there were just so many choices for hands on for the, for the courses this year that we chose not to go with this one. Okay. Yeah, it's really so. Sad. I'm gonna. I can't wait Boo. till ACOG comes and find out what the courses they did offer are because they'll probably be some esoteric crap that uh, won't, that doesn't, doesn't do matter. anything. But they're not offering that. Yeah. I want to thank you to the efficiency of the Sutter Health Group up in Northern California. I needed to get records on a woman who had a one previous cesarean birth, and they sent me the records, and it was 784 pages. <laughs> way to kill a tree. Well, I didn't print it out. Yeah. Good. But it's just another example that we've talked about over and over again about how EMR is not compatible with reality. All right. Now some some is, but but to like with major institutions, I think they do this on purpose. By the way, mm-hmm. is because if there's ever a mistake, it's going to be impossible to find in there because there's so much cutting and pasting. There's so much ridiculous, redundant stuff. Seven hundred and eighty-four pages for one birth, and that's just the mother. I didn't ask for the records on the baby. Yeah. 
And I went through that. Actually, you know, I, I, I can scroll really fast because so many pages where the medicines are on them or something else, they look alike and you can just tell that this is not a page I need, or nursing notes or, or vital signs or whatever. You can just sort of see it. But, but the amount of paper it took up was incredibly, ridiculously long. Yeah. And I printed out 11 pages. That had value. That had valuable information. And how long did that take you to sort through? I <clears throat> uh, probably got through it in on twenty minutes. Okay, that's not too too bad. No, but I'm just. I was just thinking, if there was a lawsuit regarding this patient, and they hired a medical expert, mm-hmm. an OB expert, at five hundred dollars an hour to go through seven hundred eighty-four pages, yeah. and just say, just even say he could do a hundred pages an hour, which you could probably do more than that if you wanted to, but what's the incentive for that person to do more than that an hour? They'd have to pay him $4,000 <laughs> to review one record on one cesarean section client. Because if you're doing it for medical legal purposes, you actually have to scan the nurse's notes. You have to scan the medications. Right. Because you're looking for anything that you can find, whether it's defensible or, or prosecutorial-wise. You're looking for something... To find, so you have to. So you got to pay an expert. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. a ridiculous number of pages. And I have one more thank you. This is to the uh, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, for apparently pulling acoustic stimulators off of the market. Acoustic stimulators are what we use when we're doing a non-stress test, and you want to stimulate the baby. Oh, uh huh. They've apparently pulled them off the market, according to my uh, my uh, rep from McKesson, Will. So mm-hmm. they pulled off the market. So I just wanted to make sure that everyone listening actually feels much safer now, knowing that there are no acoustic stimulators on the market anymore. So what Will told me to do is go over to my sex shop and buy a... A vibrator? A vibrator, right. So I'm going to be going <laughs> Great. over to the sex shop. I will not be buying one that looks like a dildo, though. That would be inappropriate. Don't Very you strange. But, you know, I mean, look, at I used my phone recently because I didn't have one. I put my phone, phone alarm on, on the clock. Oh, I thought you had a vibrator on your phone. Well, yeah, everybody has a vibrator on their phone. <laughs> okay. Right. Now, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. <laughs> anyway. You started it. I don't know. I have to look into it because this is just secondhand knowledge from Will, but but why would the FDA care whether acoustic stimulators are on the market or not? And why does the FDA have regulation over acoustic stimulator? It's not a food or a drug. Yeah, it would be interesting to know why they why they pulled it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Because we have a really nice one in the Century City office. It's a little thing that you push that actually came with the machine. It plugs into the machine. So when you push it, it makes a little mark on the machine that shows that you actually did the acoustic stim. Yeah. So now I have a new office and a new NST. Oh, you should talk about my new office. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. We should talk about my new office. All right. After 34 years in the same office, I moved to a smaller office with a couple of our midwife colleagues, Alex and Sheila. Mm -hmm. Uh, People say, well, why did you do that? And I said, well, the main reason is trying to simplify and lower my overhead. Mm -hmm. Uh, My overhead at that office was really high. Yeah. Um, I didn't really need all that stuff, but I am finding it really affecting my OCD-ness initially because... Things aren't where, you know, I can't just, after 34 years of doing things the same way, yes. it's suddenly I've got to do this. I got to order my own stuff. I've got to, I got to go buy stamps. I don't have a stamp machine now. I got to go <laughs> lick, I mean, you don't have to lick them, but to put stamps on now. And I have to, all the things that you don't really realize that granted. you need. And the hardest thing that's been happening is setting up a billing service. I, I 
trying to give this opportunity to this this young woman who's starting her own service. Uh, it was referred to me by Alex, and it's been a little bit of a hassle. Um, you know, it's sort of a thing where if you, if, if you don't chase after it, they don't necessarily care that much about your business. And I'm not blaming the, the woman. I'm blaming the, the, the big company that she works for. Apparently, some of the paperwork we sent in wasn't completely filled out correctly. Mm-hmm. And it's surprising how many pieces of paperwork you have to send in to start working with a biller because all the HIPAA stuff. Mm-hmm. Eight, ten-page con- uh, consent forms. Mm-hmm. That there are, there are eight or nine pages of things that you can't possibly understand, and you just sign your name on the on the ninth page. Right, it's that sort of stupid <laughs> stuff. But anyway, they they but they didn't call to tell her that the uh, documents we sent in were inadequate. So four or five days go by, and I go, "What's going on?" Because I got patients calling me who wa- who want their stuff built out that they paid me already, but they want their stuff built out. Right, and um. Then she called them and found out that this went, and it's like, well, well, why didn't they just tell you that? But they're big and they don't care and, they, and and you're just a little cog in the wheel. Even though I have a single woman working for me, billing, she's got to go through, a, it's a, I think it's called Office Ally or something like that. You heard of Office Ally? Mm-mm. Okay. No. Yeah, clearing house for billing purposes. I have a simpler solution. So we can talk after the podcast. You can tell me now. I just have someone who does it and does, sounds a lot less complicated than... What well, that's what I'm supposed to. With. Well, that's the whole point. It was I'm supposed to have someone who does it, but she has to get her business started. Apparently, mm. your, your okay. person already had her business started, right? Yeah. Well, I wanted to give her an opportunity. Okay. Somebody gave me an opportunity once. Always, you gave me opportunities. I did. Yeah. 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 Oh, speaking of that, I have. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting. I have a. Uh, I got a call from a physician who's finish, who, who isn't even finishing her residency up in back east at Tufts University. She's got four months to go in her residency, and she quit. She can't take it anymore. Oh, that's hard. And she's coming out here, and she wants to open up a home birth practice in the Inland Empire near Palm Springs and uh, San Bernardino area. So she's licensed? Oh, she's licensed. and uh-huh. yeah, she, all, yeah, you're licensed after your first year of residency. Oh, okay. So she's just not going to be able to um, list that she finished her residency. I still think she can even, she can even sit for her written boards because she's already signed up for them. She will not be able to take her oral boards because she didn't finish her residency. But if you're doing home birth practice, like, who the F cares? Well, I, I guess I'm confused. She has a license, but she has to do the boards for... No, just to, you know, it's just a, it's a, just another milestone that you can say that you've passed the written, oh. bo- you passed the written boards. Oh, okay. But no one asks. Okay. Nobody, nobody ever comes to my office and say, hey, Dr. Stu, I don't see your diploma up that says you're board certified. Uh-huh. Or I don't see your diploma up that says you're a fellow of ACOG. I mean, I am. Right. But nobody cares. But okay. nobody cares. Yeah. Right. It's just kind of like a prestigious. Well, like who, the only who cares, the people who care are like the institutions where if you wanted to get privileges at a hospital or you wanted mm-hmm. to be a, a provider on an insurance plan, a preferred provider, excuse me, on an insurance plan, mm-hmm. then they want you to have those sort of things and they want you to maintain your board certification, which is a racket, which we've talked about on the podcast before, that sort of thing. So she's someone who's coming to where? Central California? No, um, Palm Springs area and San Bernardino. Great. Right. Good for her. Right, at a time where I'm thinking of not going to be here that much longer. So we'll see how that works out. But she's going to come and spend some time with us. You'll, you'll get to meet her. What do you mean by that, Stu? What do I mean by what? What you just said. What do you mean you're thinking about not being here that much longer? What does that mean? 
it means I'm trying to get out of California. Do you know where you're going? Is this a secret? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to go and work in Utah, I think. Uh, part-time, anyway. I'm going to keep a presence here in California, and I'm going to come back periodically. I'm going to keep an office here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right now my rent is so much cheaper than what it was when I was in the other office. So yeah. I can afford to keep it for a while and see how it goes. And But I'm going to try to... Do I'm going to try to probably give up breaches and twins, um, because if deal. I do breaches and twins, I'm on call 24/7. Yeah. And the whole point of me wanting to slow down is to not be on call, and it's a catch 22 because if I do breaches and twins, then I'm on call. And and mm-hmm. I've tried for years. Not not I mean not. There's no overt way to try, but I've looked around for years to try to find somebody who'd be willing to share a call with me. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's anybody out there, even this young physician out there, who's who's trained to do what I do. So I just don't think there's anybody out there. And as Elliot said in our documentary, we are dying off. And uh, I don't plan to die off, but I just plan to work less and work, you know, I'll come back for specific clients and I'll come back for legacy clients and people that we delivered before and that sort of thing. But I just, I can't, I can't be on call every night. It's not good for my health. Yeah. I'm happy for you. Very, I think it's a really great change for you. I'm sad for... Us. For SoCal, it's going to be, they're going to, yeah. Especially yeah. me. <laughs> oh, bliss. I, we can still do, we're going to still do the podcast. Yeah, we're still doing the podcast. Yeah, that's not stopping. By the way. Right. But yeah, I mean, just like this week, you know, being able to call you or send my clients to you, you know, it's a, it's a big loss for our community and for my practice. Well, if, you know, if I could stay in California and if it wasn't so, California wasn't so sort of screwed up and wasn't so expensive and traffic wasn't so bad and... It's all and, true. Yeah, if you know, all that in the cost of living, and I can't buy a house here, and I can't, you know, if that. But uh, if I could give, but if but if I'm here and there's a breach, and I say, well, I'm not doing breaches anymore, I'm gonna feel like shit. Everybody's gonna feel like shit. Yeah. So it's not gonna happen. So I sort of have to uh, run away. <laughs> <laughs> run away! Run away! Running away! I'm running away. And when would this be? Oh, this will be the end of this year, early next year, maybe. We'll see. Okay. Okay. We'll see. You know, we're working on uh, getting everything. I've, I already have my license in Utah, though, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. It's good, sort of good and not so good. Yeah, I wish I had a license in many different states. Then I could just be a traveling guy. I could go do a birth in Texas or birth in well, Alaska. You just have to set up as that thing that we've talked about so many times. What is that called? Oh, private membership association. Yeah. Then yeah. you can practice wherever you want. Yeah. Then I'll get arrested. <laughs> I don't do that. All right, so that's that one. All right, so I got I got a I got a I got a bunch of letters here. All right, here's a letter that was. Oh, we're going to go through letters today because that's sort of what we want to do. Last time we talked all about births. Now all we're gonna, about births. Now we're going to try to answer other people's questions because, because we always ask about other questions. Before I do that, I have one letter written from a member of the Physicians for Informed Consent, mm-hmm. which is PIC. It's a membership. It's the thing I belong to, which is. A really good organization. People should look into it. You can look it up. Just go to, I think, physiciansforinformedconsent.org and look it up and look at some of the work that they're doing. But it's not really a political issue, but they but they have noticed some things that are happening politically. And I'm just going to go through some of this stuff. It's mostly not political, but there are, it starts off that way. The first thing that this person says is that Adam Schiff is being sued by an independent organization for physicians for censoring vaccine debate. So he's trying to get Facebook and other places to to 
prevent people from being able to use the word vaccine or, 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 or people that are not 100% pro-vaccine to be able to put their information on the internet. So um, He sponsored a bill that way. So what's that called? Censorship? That would be called censorship, yes. Yeah, right. that's against our constitution, I believe. Okay, did you know that almost every vaccine mandate, uh, no shots, no school, even if you had adverse effects, bill in our country originates from the Democratic side? Just so you know that. Do you know that the Centers for Disease Control, which decides what vaccines are recommended and what are the contraindications, holds over 50 vaccine patents and sells four-plus billion dollars in vaccines yearly? Did you know that? Nope. Did you know that December 2nd and 3rd, the Global Vaccine Safety Summit admitted that current safety testing only picks up immediate local reactions and long-term systemic reactions and deaths need to be studied going forward? Um, shouldn't this have been done from the get-go before we vaccinate billions with unstudied products? Did you know that there are 271 vaccines in the development pipeline? Not surprised. Did you know that poor countries like Haiti and the Philippines, uh, uh, the vaccines have been uncovered laced with HCG, a contraceptive given without consent? Hmm. Um, <laughs> And in Austin, Texas, microchips of medical history are injected into the homeless, stating now that they have control over their medical records. I don't know that this is all true, but I trust the PIC, so I'm just assuming it is. I haven't had time to look into these things, but if anybody has any counter information, did you know China and Big Pharma are almost identical today as more and more of our pharmaceuticals are sourced in China with little inspection? Uh... Medicine is becoming the way people are controlled. Physicians for Informed Consent.org was founded in California in 2015. Another group of Physicians for Informed Consent is forming in New York. I'm a member of Physicians for Informed Consent of California, a doctor who writes exemptions for children with vaccine damage and risk, and, and one of the 70-plus who are being investigated by the California Medical Board, even though we complied with SB 277, the existing law. He says, the author of the new stricter law, 276 and 714, Senator Pan, has said that, quote, doctors are agents of the state, unquote. It's a bit scary, don't you think? Yeah, very. Slippery slope, that's what I've been I've saying I've always said that when years. doctors work for an organization like Kaiser or, or Soter Health, that that's, a con that's an absolute conflict of interest. Because if a doctor works for the organization, then who's his fiduciary duty to? Right. Mine, I know who it's to. You yeah, know, because... It's to the client. Yeah. Yours is to the client. Of course. But if your salary was paid by somebody who said, Bliss, I don't want you doing VBACs. I don't want you giving that medication. I don't want you doing that. You're not allowed to do that. And if you continue to do it, you might lose your job or you might get you might get uh, dinged or whatever it is. Um, you begin to change the way you practice. It's better that we're independent. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, please bring this medical authoritarianism to the public's awareness. That's so what I you're did. Doing. Yep. Good job. End of that one. Okay. All right. So now we have a letter from Cami Harper of Fort Worth, Texas, and this one you can you can you can speak to this one, Bliss, because it's about the differences between CPMs and CNMs. Mm -hmm. You want to read it? Sure. Yeah, everybody likes your voice better than mine anyway. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Stu. Don't say whatever, by the way. My mother <laughs> my mother used to say whatever whenever she wanted to dismiss what I was saying. Well. What? 
ever. Whoever told you that they like my voice better? Um, Everybody. Okay. I'm searching for a midwife right now for my third pregnancy. John, <laughs> John says she likes your voice better. I had a midwife, CNM, deliver my second baby in a hospital. I had an OB deliver my first in a hospital. I've been dreaming and thinking about having a home birth for my third, but I really want to understand and trust my midwife before I decide to do that. Not because I'm scared of a home birth, but I just want to make sure that she knows her stuff. We moved to Fort Worth, Texas, and in my search, I've recently noticed a little controversy or tension between CNMs and CPMs. I heard that CPMs are ruining the image of home birth because they don't need a lot of training to become a midwife, whereas CNMs require more training and therefore and are therefore better. Um, I have had uh, I have <laughs> I have a hard time believing this because I thought most home births were attended by CPMs. My experience is limited with both kinds of midwives, but I tend to like CPMs better. I was seeing Renee at the Santa Clarita Birth Center for the first part yeah, of Renee. my pregnancy, and she was lovely. She is lovely. Mm -hmm. um, they seem more. She's in Haiti right now, by the way, or she probably may be back by the time we air this podcast. No, we should have her on to talk about Haiti. Yeah. Okay. I've, yeah, I've been enjoying following her. Okay. Um, they seem more relaxed and wiser. CNM seem to buy into the fear around birth a little more. Obviously, this is just my experience, and by no means do I think this is all about about all CNMs or CPMs. I know there are extremely talented midwives with both credentials as well as not so talented ones. I was just wondering if you could explain the difference for me and if you have any tips on how to find a good midwife. What kinds of questions should I ask that I can feel more confident in them? I would love to hear um, back from you and Bliss because I appreciate your thoughts and opinions even when they differ from each other. Um, <laughs> I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time. Thanks for all you do, Cami Harper. So um, I think the main thing to talk about is I don't believe that there's necessarily um, a hierarchy in terms of CNMs and CPMs, in terms of better education, more educated, all of that. I think that it's important that we, again, this is something that I go back to a lot, is that we um, distinguish that there are very there's a lot of different ways to look at healthcare and how you manage your health. And here, the Western perspective, so obst obstetricians, CNMs, nurses, hospitals is more of a Western perspective. And that is only one way of looking at how to take care of yourself. Correct? Yes. Then there could be something like Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese medicine, acupuncture. So from my perspective, the Chinese perspective of looking at health and well-being is not any less in terms of knowledge and, and wisdom than Western medicine. But they can be better at doing different things. So if you if your arm is falling off, you might not want to go get acupuncture, right? You might want to go to the hospital and have them put your arm back on. So um, certified nurse midwives are trained in a hospital and they are nurses before they become midwives. So it just makes sense that their perspective would be a little bit more from the medical perspective mm -hmm. of how to manage birth. Um, Licensed midwives, as well CPMs, is what you you would call them um, nationwide here in LA, here in California. It's licensed midwives, but um, CPMs, certified professional midwives, usually come from um, a lineage of midwives, and the wisdom is passed down from midwife to midwife. 
that's how midwifery has been done since the beginning of time. With how, academic, there's some academic training. What I that. was going to yeah. say is we've now given them licensure and we have made that academic piece a portion of getting our licensure. And there's controversy about whether or not that makes somebody a better midwife or not. Sometimes, like just like you were talking about, you involve the state and licensure and academia and you lose some of the things that traditionally midwives have done since the beginning of time. So home births have been done forever, right? And midwives or women attending have been attending forever. So um, I think it's more about your perspective and what's important to you rather than seeing it as a hierarchy. So if you're wanting more of the Western perspective, more of the medical minded in how to manage birth, you might uh, connect more or feel safer with a certified nurse midwife, whereas if holistic care and um, and herbology and um, all of those things that um, that that CPMs are also experts in um, feels like more of how you're aligned with taking care of yourself, then a CPM might be better for what you're looking at. That's how I. Would I think answer. that's a good answer. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I mean there, are, I, I think in general. That's exactly right, that, that CNMs have a more of a medical training, and once we have the medical training, it's harder to pound it out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that are excellent, but also a lot of times, in, at least in our state, the CNMs are regulated by a different board than the, uh, than the LMs, yeah. and they have different rules. Mm-hmm. So certain restrictions on them that may, that may not be on a, on a uh, CPM. Like they, they still need physician supervision. But they can also um, prescribe... prescribe medication and uh, contraceptives, which we have not given the ability to be able to do yet. Right. Yeah. So ultimately, Cami, I think it comes down to the idea that if you're comfortable with either one of them in, on a personal level, I think the skill level is probably going to be relatively the but, same. Yeah. But in terms of asking questions, you could ask how long they've been practicing, how many deliveries they've done, if there are certain complications that are important for you to know how they manage like a shoulder dystocia or how they would manage it if you had GBS, you know, some, some midwives aren't comfortable with suturing. Some midwives aren't comfortable with giving IVs. I'm talking about nationwide. Um, so some of those might be questions that you might want to ask, you know, if, if you had to be sutured, would they transport you? If, are they comfortable giving you IV medication? Is Do they carry oxygen across the country? It seems like some certified professional midwives don't do a lot of the those medical things because they have a lot of other ways of managing it, and they feel like if it goes out that far outside of the range of normal, then you probably should be in the care of a medical professional. Excellent points. Yeah. Okay. All right. Our next letter is from um, Brianna, and Brianna's in Coos Bay, Oregon. So we had, uh, let's see, where was uh, Cammie from? Cammie was from uh, Fort Worth. Texas, right? Texas, correct. Mm -hmm. And now Brianna's from Coos Bay, Oregon. And she has a question about calcified placentas. Okay, so she writes, Hi, Dr. Stu, I found your podcast through social media, mainly because I'm an avid birth hour listener, and many women have mentioned your services in Breach and Twins. Anyway, I delivered my daughter in January of 2019 at 38 weeks and two days. She was my first child and her labor came as a surprise because I was mentally preparing to go past 40 weeks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because you're, you're preparing, you know, it's like it's like planning 
when you're going to go into labor doesn't really yeah. pan out very often. Yeah, it's true. My pregnancy was very uneventful. My blood pressure was normal, and the only side effect I complained about was mild swelling after a full day of work. I went into labor naturally, and there were no complications with the birth of my daughter. After her, her birth, a placenta was delivered within minutes, and upon inspection, the midwife in the hospital, so it was a CNM, probably not, notated, notated, oh, she must have written in the chart, that my placenta was calcified, which was odd because I'm 22 years old and have never smoked in my life. When my OB did rounds the next morning, I brought up my placenta and she brushed it off, mentioning it doesn't mean anything. Good, good for that OB, by mm-hmm. the way. Upon my own research, I found a calcified placenta can be serious. I'm inquiring what your thoughts are on a calcified placenta. Could it have been possible I didn't have the correct due date, even though I had scans that dated the due date? Was it my chocolate milk craving <laughs> that caused the placenta to calcify early? Thank you for your help. I very much enjoy listening to you and Bliss discuss all things birth. Bliss is in my thoughts during this time. Thank you. Yeah. So, Brianna. My first question would be, did she have heartburn and did she use Tums? Because you think that that contributes to calcification? I've definitely seen more calcification on um, placentas where a mom is using Tums regularly. So, it couldn't have been her chocolate milk though, right? I don't think so. But nutrition... I mean, overall right. nutrition um, could make a difference. But she says she's very healthy and she's only 20. Listen, sometimes placentas calcify. It doesn't mean anything. I've seen many women with a grade three placenta who have a biophysical profile. It's 100%. I mean, it's perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. And the baby's so, healthy. Yeah. So the idea that a calcified placenta is a problem is only a problem if some of the testing or the growth of the baby or something is wrong. What happens, however, is that if a doctor is looking to plant seeds of doubt in people, and they will then tell you you have an old placenta. And when you right. say you have an old placenta, that implies that old means it's not working as well, which, of course, looking at my my body would probably be true. I'm rejecting that. <laughs> you can reject it. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> no, I mean, between my back and uh, my legs and my knees. And another reason that I think uh, not being on call every night would be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So... Uh, so my whole thing about it is that I, I, it's not, to me, it's not a big deal. And the fact is that I'm glad they didn't know before you delivered, because if they had known before you delivered, they might have scared you, scared you or pushed you into induction or done something weird. Even though you were with only 38 weeks, they might have done, said something or done something weird. So I'm very glad. And I love the fact that your doctor said it doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. because in hindsight, it doesn't mean anything. And if it's just a, if it's just a red flag that you look at, then you look at, you say, okay, it's a grade three placenta. Let's look at blood flow. Let's look at the biophysical profile. If they're fine, then it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, sometimes when, when babies don't gain a lot of weight or something, we say look at the whole baby. So look at look at everything. Don't just look at one individual thing. Kind of look and see if there's a lot of factors that are showing us that um, we might want to change the direction of care. And for you, you didn't need that. So, But I'd, I'd be curious for her to reply and let me know if she took, took Tums. Okay, so Brianna, you need to let us know if you took Tums. You can you can email me at askdrstu at gmail.com and let me know. Okay, so the next letter, this is a longer one. It's a little bit sadder too, but I think we need to talk about it. Um, this is from Charlotte in San Francisco. Okay, so see three, three different states so far. Okay. Boop, boop. Right. Uh, good afternoon, Dr. Stu. My name is Charlotte. I have heard a lot about you recently from women on a podcast called The Birth Hour. So the, uh, that podcast I did with The Birth Hour is getting around. 
Okay. Because that's a very popular podcast. Yeah, it is. And people have found me from that podcast. That's great. And then they found you, (laughs) obviously. Okay, I'm going to try to summarize this because she writes she writes a lot a lot of stuff here. Okay. And then she it's funny how she writes a lot of stuff in the first sentence is to make a long story short. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how long it would have been. Yeah, really. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, uh, Charlotte. Okay. So, cuz it's a, it's a sad story. So, I just want my baby was breached and after doing spinning babies recommended positions, moxibustion, Webster and all that stuff, I was left with ECV as the only option. If I was to continue care with my midwife and uh, and, and deliver at home the, or the birth center at 38 and a half weeks, I went to a hospital in San Francisco for an ECV. The doctors told me the success rate was about 50%. And if it didn't work, they would do plan for a C-section. I told them I didn't want a C-section even if it didn't work. I asked about vaginal breech delivery and I was told it was unsafe due to double footling positioning. Now, I will just tell you right now that it's very unlikely that your baby was double footling at... 38 weeks and it's very unusual it's essentially it's a complete breach with the feet presenting but unless the hips are extended it's not a footling breach the problem is is that most people who don't understand don't take breach classes or don't take a breach seminar don't understand what that means and they think if the foot's first it's footling that's not so true they told me that both of these were not options about going home or going into labor so uh because it would put my baby in mortal danger so they attempted the mortal danger. Mm-hmm. Is there any other kind? Mm-hmm. Right. The uh, attempted, uh, they attempted the first ECV with a tocolytic. So they probably gave her tributylene. Mm-hmm. It was very uncomfortable, and I informed them that it really felt as though they were pushing her head further into my rib cage. They attempted five times, and she didn't move. Then they told me that I could either schedule a C-section or do a second ECV two days later. Stay in the hospital and then try again, no, basically? No, I, I probably go home. Oh, I thought you said she couldn't go. Well, that's what they were saying. Okay. um, They made it seem like an emergency and said that I needed to come back on Friday. So, Mm. again, if it's an emergency, you wouldn't let her go home. If it's not an emergency, why? That sort of thing. So you you get where I'm coming from. It's an emergency because they didn't want her to go into labor, my suspicion is, with a breech baby. Mm -hmm. Okay. I reluctantly agreed to a second ECV under anesthesia and to book a C-section for the following Monday if it was unsuccessful. On Friday, I presented back to the same hospital for my second ECV. One of the doctors from the previous attempt came running and excitedly to tell me that another more experienced doctor would be taking her place and that she was very good. They took me to, to the OR. I had a spinal anesthesia and they placed me in the Trendelenburg position, which for those of you who don't know, means sort of tipped upside down, tipped back, laying flat, tipped backwards. Try and help the... Get the baby out, out of the of pelvis, pelvis. Uh-huh. correct. Mm-hmm. They started the ECV, the main doctor on my left and the assisting doctor was on the other side. It was very uncomfortable and had a lot of extreme pressure and pain in my chest. My husband was at my head, and at one point in the procedure, both of the doctor's arms were outstretched over me where my baby's head was positioned, and she was just moving them in and out in what looked like a CPR fashion. So that she said, like, pushing up and jumping up and down, and pushing, 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 push hard, push hard, push hard, so much that her scrub pants began to fall down, and a nurse had to pull them back up for her. And I believe after five attempts, the baby had moved. There was a point in which my baby's heart rate dropped to 53. And in my notes, it looks like it remained low for two minutes. And then a scrub nurse and peds was informed for a possible C-section, none of which was mentioned to me. I was told that her heart rate dropped and then came back to reassuring levels. And it was normal for it to drop a little in these situations, which is true. It can happen. There was a lot of excitement and a lot of people in the OR. One of the nurses remarked that it was a tough procedure that the doctor really had to get in there. They monitored the baby for 40 minutes and discharged me once he had spinal worn off. 
I left the hospital around 4 p.m. So apparently the version was successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. That evening I felt movement. You know what's coming here, don't you? Yeah. I went to bed. I woke up in the morning and got on with my errands. and went out for brunch at around 11. I noticed I hadn't felt any movement. My best friend was with us. I asked her to listen to the baby when we got home. She was a midwife from the UK. She couldn't hear anything with her penard. He instructed me to do things that normally provoked movement. So I had some ice cream and got in the bath. After you finished the bath, no movement. I didn't feel right. I went back to the hospital. And they told me my baby had passed away. Upon delivery, there was nothing that indicated how or why she had died. She looked normal and healthy, as did my placenta and cord. Um, there was evidence of a mild... Well, that's the, the, you know, on the pathology report, it says there was a two-centimeter intervillous hematoma on my placenta. Now, that's very small. So ultimately, they reached no conclusion about the cause of the fetal death. I would appreciate the thoughts, opinions that you had on the matter, especially regarding the standard of care and the ECD procedures. Well, it's a really difficult thing to, com- to comment on. Uh, only reason We're so I, very sorry. For yeah, we are very sorry um, yeah. because it's tragic. And, yes. and it's probably iatrogenic. I mean, it's not like something that would have happened had they left your baby in the breech position and never done the ECVs. It is a known risk of ECV. And the reason I wanted to bring it up was the fact that they, they attempted this so dramatically twice. You know, I try it, when I do an ECV, I do, I do one try. And if that doesn't work, I might try to go the other way. And if that doesn't work, then I stop. Well, what I, I've seen you do several, many, and uh, what I always remember you saying is, if it's gonna work, it's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want to push that hard because that means it's probably not working. Yeah, yeah. And the idea that they had to push that hard, where they're actually sort of doing CPR, like on your belly, like pumping on your belly, pump, 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 to get the baby to go down, is it's it's an it's an odd thing to me. And the, and the idea that they're so afraid of doing breech delivery or supporting your decision, which is a legitimate one, of, of trying to have a labor with a breech baby, that they do something that's this dramatic uh, twice in, in 48 hours. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's a tragic thing, and it doesn't need to be necessary if, they, if people brought back the skills of breech delivery. And trust that, you know, the variation of normal is that sometimes babies, you know, 3% want to come out with their butts out, you know, like it's just, it's a variation of normal and all of this intervention, just like everything we talk about, there's a ripple effect. Yeah. It's just one of those things where, again, because I do so much breach delivery, I see this, these sorts of, I'm a clearinghouse for these sorts of letters. And it's really sad that again, like they had to push so hard to get you to try to turn this baby because they didn't give you any other options. And because most of the country doesn't even provide you with that many options, so Charlotte, I'm I'm really uh, I'm really sorry. Yeah, we both are. Thank you for reaching out and helping us educate other families. Yeah, I have another le- another uh, um, letter related to breach from Lily in Colorado, um, and she writes. Hi, I haven't spoken with you before, but I'm hoping you have a few minutes to share your wisdom. I'm in Colorado, fourth baby, 38, two-sevenths weeks pregnant, uncomplicated. This baby is breech, all prior vaginal deliveries. I've had two failed external versions. So once again, what's with trying? Yeah, why keep trying? Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand why why people are trying so hard. If it, I, I, 
you know, I guess they feel like if I can't get it to turn, I have to do a section on this woman. Right. And so I think they probably are a little sometimes overzealous. My provider was previously supportive of me attempting a vaginal breech delivery, but no longer because his head is measuring in the 99th percentile with an estimated fetal weight of 4,200 grams. First of all, estimated fetal weights are notoriously unreliable. And secondly, that's within my parameters, but some people cut it off at 4,000 grams for their breech delivery. So the fact that he was even willing to support you initially for a breech baby is admirable to that effect. However, she says her third baby weighed nine pounds, 12 ounces, and had a 15-inch head. Mm-hmm. Happens. And was born precipitously over an intact perineum. Ah, good for okay. her. So all that said, to demonstrate I have a lot of room, is it still reasonable to think of doing this delivery vaginally, or based on his size, should I proceed with a section? Okay, so I wrote back to her, because obviously this, she's probably had her baby by now. Uh, Dear Lily, thanks for writing, and congratulations on your upcoming joy. Relying on estimated fetal weight is really an unreliable thing to do. It can be so inaccurate, but each practitioner needs to have his or her limits. In my opinion, a skilled, confident, and willing practitioner would not rule out vaginal breech birth with the information you have shared, especially in a woman with previous vaginal births. As I've said earlier in other podcasts, multiparous women's success rate with breech birth is unbelievably high. As you may be finding out, however, finding someone willing and skilled is extremely difficult. If your baby otherwise meets the usual safe criteria for a vaginal breech birth, flexed head, frank or complete, etc., then it is more than reasonable to plan for a vaginal birth with a very high likelihood of success. You certainly have the right to refuse a cesarean just because baby is breached, and hopefully your doctor will honor your decision. I hope you don't find yourself in the position of having someone not skilled in breach on call, though. That puts the physician in a bad spot, too. If you can find someone else locally or travel a bit, it would be worth it. I am really sorry at this time when you should be relaxed and nesting. You are dealing with the failings of academic obstetrics to teach breach birth as a core skill. I always have to stick that in there in my letters, you know. Let me know if I can be further assistance. I said all the best and Merry Christmas. So this was a letter I got in December. Mm-hmm. You know, we hadn't been doing podcasts. So uh, Lily, if you had your baby, I would love to hear back from you and you can tell me what happened um, at askdrstewartgmail.com. But I mean, this is a woman having her fourth baby who's given birth to a 10 pound baby before with a big head. And yet. She doesn't have options. Yeah, she has no options. Mm-hmm. So that would be the theme of this podcast, I guess. Of every podcast. Yeah, of every podcast. So we should just have the same title for every podcast. So we have to do the rest of the letters next time. Cause... No, because but I do have I have one more announcement to make. Okay. Okay, because mm-hmm. I know we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. Read the title, because you'll love the title. Oh, gosh, I put my glasses away. Oh, really? I thought we were done. Okay. <laughs> really, he says? <laughs> okay, here's the title, because I want to bliss to read this. It says, Viagra could help women avoid emergency childbirth. Research finds. Okay, this is great. This is out of Australia. I'm so confused. I know, isn't it great? <laughs> All right, so uh, these days, Philip Wright is a happy, healthy two-year-old, but his entry into the world was anything but calm, and the experience still haunts his mother, Joe. It was the most terrifying moment of my life, she said. I thought he was going to die. What began as a normal labor for then the 24-year-old became a medical emergency when Philip's heart rate dropped to a dangerously low level. Doctors told her she needed an emergency cesarean. There was no time for anything. They told me straight out my baby was coming out. I was so scared, I thought I was going to throw up. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably just labor. (laughs) Each year, thousands of Australian women need emergency C-sections or instrument-assisted deliveries because their babies have become distressed during labor. Obstetrician Salish Kumar from the Mater Research Institute at the University of Queensland believes he has a solution. 
He found administering Viagra to women in labor could significantly reduce the chance of babies becoming distressed, therefore reducing the need for emergency cesarean. The theory is that sildenafil citrate, which is the generic for Viagra, um, is in the erectile dysfunction drug might help. Drug, during contractions, blood flow to the mother and baby can drop off by as much as 60%. I thought it could drop off even more than that. If adequate blood flow is not restored between contractions, the baby may become distressed because it is not receiving enough oxygen. Hmm. That makes sense, right? Mm -hmm, okay. mm -hmm. Drugs like Viagra dilate the pelvic blood vessels, which increases blood flow to the placenta and improves oxygen supply to the baby. In a pilot trial, doctors gave the drug or placebo to 300 Australian full-term pregnant women in labor and found the medication have the rate of women eating an emergency cesarean, have the use of forceps deliveries, and cut the time spent in later stages of labor by half. Interesting. Um, Intervenously. So if this does prove to be beneficial and reduces fetal distress in labor, this certainly would be a very effective way to reduce cesarean sections. Okay, a larger study is necessary because there was a study that came out previously. Um, oh, as a result of the study, he's a finalist of research award which will be announced tonight, but they've applied to the National Health and Medical Research Council for a grant because there was a previous study, higher doses of the drug were given in that study to the mothers much earlier in pregnancy. I don't know why they give it earlier in pregnancy. But the research was abandoned after 11 babies developed lung problems and died. So, <laughs> Bad idea. Yeah, I'm not sure that, that... But he says, Professor Kumar says the study has not shown any side effects in the mothers and babies, but as a precaution, he said he halted his study but I don't think that both studies are directly comparable, and it doesn't sound like they are. One's giving it for some other reason, and this one's giving it for babies in when mm -hmm. you're in labor with, you know, having D cells or something like that. Anyway, I just thought that what a what a creative, in, interesting thing to to think of. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the kind of thing where this is an innovative person because, yeah, we know that how Viagra works, mm -hmm. right, and we know that decreased blood flow to the baby is a problem in certain cases. So why not try it? Well, because there's risks when you try stuff like this. But, you know, if it if it helps, if it's used judiciously, then... Yeah, the know. question is, why are all these babies getting into trouble? Exactly. In the first place. I mean, there's, there's so many questions there, but I always like that it's provocative and it's sort of a, an interesting thing that, that I just wanted to throw out there because... Yeah. Because I'm not suggesting that my midwife friends start carrying Viagra in their uh, <laughs> birth kits, but... But, uh, but uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's all the time before we have letters. That's all the time we have for letters today. Yeah. So you think we'll have to do more next time, I guess? We might. We might have, still have some catch up to do. Yeah. But some of the letters are long and it's really hard and I don't know. I, I, don't I, I probably it. should summarize them. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Bliss. Yeah. We're back on track. Great. I'll see you right. in a couple of weeks. What's in a couple of weeks? We'll come back and record. Oh, we'll come yeah. back and record? We'll be on track. Do people know that we're going to Ecuador? Yes. Oh, we've told them that? Mm -hmm, but we're going to do a podcast there. Maybe. We are going to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. We should do a podcast from me, from the top of Machu Picchu. Okay. We could do that. Let's do it. I'll be out of breath, so you'll be doing the whole talk. <laughs> you'll be doing the whole podcast. People like me better. Anyway, said. guys, this has been podcast number 164. And I really do appreciate the fact that I say this every time that I know that there is a zillion podcasts out there to listen to. Obviously, the birth hour is a good one. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but we're really happy that you listened to ours and we would like you to share it. As Bliss always says, 
Bye-bye? No. Share the podcast. (laughs) Bye-bye comes later. Oh, share with your friends. If you like this podcast, share with your friends and make sure and give us feedback and let us know what you think. And send Bliss some letters at birthingbliss at hotmail.com. I don't want to get all the letters. I want Bliss to get some of the letters. Okay. So until next time, this has been Podcast 164 on Dr. Tooth Podcast. (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha.